Welcome to the Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City Zoomcast, reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of Powered by Age podcast. This is a senior-led podcast uh, and it has gone on since 2018. And it began as a podcast that was held in the 411 Senior Center building and Today we're doing a little bit different. Usually I have each person introduce themselves, but today I'm going to start with just acknowledging Leslie Roman, who was our fearless leader <laughs> that got the podcast going, and then uh, recognizing Marion Pollock, and then I'll be introducing others of our, our team and things that they are bringing to the potluck. So Leslie. <laughs> Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, I'd also like to acknowledge that uh, we're broadcasting here from the uh, lands of the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, and I'm I'm grateful um, for their leadership of these lands. Uh, welcome, hi everybody. I can't believe we're at number fifty already. Um, this was really an exciting spur-of-the-moment idea in about 2018, 2019, a collision of a bunch of people that uh, wanted to try something new. So uh, Joel's on this. He uh, He's with Podstreamers, uh, the seniors at 411. We were interested in looking at uh, the digital divide and some learning some new skills, but in a way that was kind of fun, engaging, interesting for all of us. So um I'm laughing a year ago, just over a year ago, we shut down our senior center, uh, 411 Senior Center, uh, because of the pandemic. And um, it tossed our organization upside down, just like it tossed many of us as individuals. Um, But we had this little podcast going, and um, I was smart enough to uh, hand this project over to uh, Charlotte uh, Farrell, um, and from that, we've spent uh, almost a year now um, listening to the experiences, the voices of, of seniors in our community. So it has been a joy um, for me to have play any role in this, which is usually behind the scenes. Uh, Cheryl, uh, Charlotte will say, I'm shaking the trees for the money. Um, I guess at this point, I'm just like, um, I've shook the trees. I'm just really happy to announce that the board approved our budgets um, on Monday and that we do have um, a commitment for funding to continue the Powered by Age podcast um, for another year. So I guess that's the exciting news to bring here. We didn't, uh, like every nonprofit, we're always wondering what we're doing day to day and month to month, like many people in our community. So um, we're going to keep doing this for another year, and I'm going to keep shaking uh, more trees. And my uh, my gratitude to everyone who's participated, all the allies, the supporters, um, staff from CJSF Radio um, and Podstreamers. So um, I can't wait to listen to the show. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank you. Um, we're acknowledging Marion Pollock, the chair of the board of directors for the 411 Center. Yeah, it's a nice title. It just means I do a lot of work. Um, so uh, what I did is when Charlotte told me it was the 50th anniversary of um, the podcast. I went up and looked at what are the gifts for 50th anniversary. And the gifts are golden. And I actually thought this is so appropriate to the um, to this podcast. Because as we age, <clears throat> people talk to us about going into our golden years. But they talk to us about going into our golden years as, as if, if it's a chance for us to, to relax and rest and not be active players in the world. And what this podcast has shown is that very clearly, 
as we go into our golden years, us as seniors, we want to be active. We want to have a voice, and and we want to you know we want to change the world and make it better for everybody, especially seniors. And I think the Powered by Age broadcast has been very podcast has been. Um, a gift for this, and it's been a gift for for seniors all across BC. I also think it, it's it, it's really for us that the work done by the Charlotte and the podcast people has really been golden. It's been golden and shown that seniors can be active, seniors can be creative, seniors can have fun, seniors can can make change, and seniors can can change the world. So I think we, we've had uh, the 411 Senior Center has a, had a, has had really a gift of a pot of gold from from the the podcast. So we want to thank you, and we want to wish you another at least 50, 50 more podcasts. So thank you very much. Thank you. Those are golden words, Marianne. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us and for all of the work that you've done. Marion helped us when we had a, a podcast on the digital divide. Uh, last week, we had a panel that gave pay tribute to Shanwan Gill and has just been in there consistently uh, supporting applications and other things that we've asked her and the board to do. Now, moving along to about this week, Last year, we had started having, we'd had two months where we were having meetings at the 401 Center. Uh, Robin, who I'll be introducing later, Erickson from CJSF, had come over with us and we were upstairs preparing people to do episodes or preparing people to do stories. And then they would go downstairs to Joel and, and um, Luke in the Podstream studio. And we had a list. People had generated 20 different things that they wanted the podcast to address. And then I got this call from Leslie that says, we've been shut down. So I guess we'll have to stop the podcast. And so I thought, well, there's a song that says, it ain't necessarily true. <laughs> and I, I called this young uh African-Canadian actress that I'd interviewed once named Adela Rope. And I asked her, do you think we could play? Could you show me how we could do Zoom? So we spent a morning talking, clowning, exploring Zoom, and then uh, sent email out to some of the people in our podcast group that we had email addresses for. And we started just doing the podcast. And then Leslie called and she said, hey, you know, I think this is working. Somebody put an article in the Ontario paper and some of the other papers. And so we got the go-ahead to uh, continue with Zoom. So this is the 50th episode since. And Adele, do you want to say a word? <laughs> uh, I'm proud of you uh, and proud of all of you guys for um, doing, like, to make making it to 50 episodes. Um, I, I've just been in a lot of phone calls, so it's, uh, this whole like year has just been like having conversations over the phone and like popping into meetings here and there. Um, but I'm so happy to see like all this accomplished. Like right now, my mind is just blown. I'm like, whoa! I didn't even realize you guys that like there's so much had been done, you know. Um, so I'm just I have nothing to say other than I'm proud of you guys. Well, thank you. And later when we move, we're going to be doing from each of our. Uh, podcast team, special things that they're presenting. So that takes me over to Robin. Robin is facilitating storytelling. She has brought a story to the table and uh, one of the people doing a story is already on, another one we expect to be signing on. So Robin, do you want to explain what's going to be happening? Yeah, hi. This group of uh, podcasters that has gathered uh, over the, the last year comes from a few different places, um, some senior centers and some writing groups, and, uh, and has shown itself to be quite a talented gang um, over time. And so in celebration and in light of... Um, of the, the talent represented within the group, we'll hear uh, some storytelling 
from uh, a few folks, and then uh, I think some poetry also from uh, from some of the the folks. Yes. Um, I have, as Charlotte said, I I have a um, uh, a story that I can can read, but I I also see Leslie here, who is going to share a, a story with us as well. And as Charlotte said, uh, Chris, who hopefully will will come onto the, the table. Um, maybe if you want to go first, Leslie, that would be great. Yeah, and yeah. I can uh, expand and contract my story as, mm-hmm. as it needs to be. <laughs> okay, great. Um, Well, I'm in the process of writing a memoir about a trip I took to Japan about 10 years ago. And this is a chapter from that that I've actually workshopped at my writing group. Um, It's called A Simple Cup of Tea. And it's about a tea ceremony that I attended in Japan. Although I had grown up in the UK listening to endless debates about whether it was best to pour the milk into the tea or vice versa, the British passion for a good cup of tea pales in comparison to the importance the Japanese attach to their tea customs. As I was to discover, the preparation of the powdery green tea known as matcha is regarded as both an art form and a spiritual discipline. Heated tea first versus milk first British debates aside, I did not understand the Japanese passion for tea. I knew the tea ceremony takes place in a tatami room, so-called because the floor is covered with traditional Japanese grass mats. I had a vague idea that chado, more accurately translated not as tea ceremony, but as the way of tea, was based on Zen Buddhism and that its purpose was to create an atmosphere of harmony and tranquility. But I found the whole concept underwhelming, to say the least. Then I read in the local guidebook that there was a traditional Japanese garden and tea house near Tatayama Castle. This is a place, stated the guide, where you can fully enjoy traditional Japanese-style beauty with a small bubbling stream, stone lanterns, garden gates, and black pine. As I read this description, I imagined I would sit in a secluded bamboo pavilion surrounded by a manicured garden, weeping willows, and lotus ponds. I had to admit, it sounded idyllic. But we did not go to the castle. Instead, my husband and I found ourselves in the back garden of a private house where we sat on rickety benches beneath a giant red paper parasol. Green leaves waved overhead, and the sun illuminated the lush, overgrown garden. I nervously expected to see spiders hanging in the bushes, but was relieved the the only insect life was a cluster of inquisitive foraging bees. In my stereotypical image of the tea ceremony, I imagined we would be served by a graceful young geisha cocooned in a tightly wrapped silk kimono. Instead, our slim, quietly serious hostess was an older woman in a lavender yukata, a loose gown which is less formal than a kimono. Her round-faced husband, who greeted us with a friendly smile, was casually dressed in jeans and a green baseball cap. He sported a black t-shirt, which was obviously a souvenir from Western Canada because it was emblazoned with the outstretched wings of a bright red thunderbird. He grinned in welcome. I belong Japanese Communist Party, he announced out of the blue. His humorous expression and the way he blurted out the information made me suspect he was being ironic. I was doubly surprised, therefore, when he told me the Communist Party was one of the largest political parties in Japan. As he did so, he pointed to a square earthenware pot containing an 18-inch high bonsai. Its little trunk was bent in the middle, and its branches were covered with tiny white flowers. This bonsai is 70 years old, he told us. It is not usual to flower at this time of year. Very strange, 
It is in honor of your visit, I think. As I examined the carefully pruned miniature tree, I wanted to say something a bit more meaningful than nice tree, but was not sure of what would be appropriate. I remembered that the admiration of art and the appreciation of natural simplicity are important aspects of the tea ceremony. The bonsai was both a natural object and an artistic creation. This deliberately stunted tree was the product of 70 years of painstakingly careful leaf pruning, root trimming and branch shaping. The goal of this attention to infinitesimally small details was the production of a carefully crafted asymmetry which mimicked a free-growing natural form. So I simply said, nice, and looked at the bonsai admiringly. I expected our hostess would prepare tea in front of us and pour it into delicate china cups. Instead, she emerged from the house carrying a wooden tea tray containing a pot of prepared tea, a plate of delicate pink rice cookies, and a set of heavy earthenware bowls. She placed the tray on a small table in front of us. She did not speak English, so her husband translated while she demonstrated how we should pick up our cups. She showed us how to cup our left hands, place the thumb and index fingers of our right hands around the rim of a bowl, pick it up and rest it on the palms of our left hands. Her husband explained that the tea ceremony provides a special opportunity for a meditative focus on the present moment. Before you drink tea, he said, look at your bowl, feel it, admire its design. My bowl was light brown with a dark blue abstract swirl, which began on the inside and extended over the rim to the outside. I caressed the smooth surface of the bowl with the fingers of my right hand, while my left hand cradled its surprisingly heavy weight. Our hostess indicated that we should put down our bowls so that she could pour our tea. I expected she would kneel in a geisha-style seiza pose, but she simply stood in front of us, bent at the waist, and casually poured steaming tea from the pot into our bowls. Not to drink yet, said our host. Pick up your bowl and put it in your left hand. Look at it. You see, it has design. Turn your bowl so pattern is at front. You must turn it clockwise and look at it from every side. Turn it three times. Following his precise instructions, I rotated my bowl once, twice, and then three times, each time finishing with the design facing outward towards our hostess. I felt the warmth of the tea on my palms as I breathed in its sharp bouquet. Our host smiled in approval. Okay, good. Now, drink tea, and enjoy. After the time we had spent looking and appreciating, the hot tea had cooled to lukewarm. To honor the moment, I sipped it as if it was fine wine. It was light and astringent, with notes of spinach and seaweed, and a sharp finish. The pink rice cookies which we ate afterwards were dry, crunchy, and lightly sweetened a perfect complement to the sharpness of the tea. When we had finished, our host and hostess bowed and thanked us for joining our simple tea ceremony. As I look back on that peaceful afternoon, I still treasure the simplicity of sitting in a sunlit garden under a paper parasol, admiring a bonsai and drinking from unpretentious earthenware bowls. The experience symbolizes for me the Japanese aesthetic of wabi-sabi, which combines understated simplicity with appreciation of the natural imperfections of everyday life. Instead of fine china, we had been honored with the subtle colors and textures of simple hand-thrown earthenware, and we had been introduced to the magical imperfection of a bonsai flowering out of season. What else was there to do before we left but to simply say, 
Thank you for the tea ceremony and bow back to our hosts. Beautiful, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. It makes me want to have a lovely cup of Japanese tea now <laughs> <laughs> and some tranquility. Mm. Yeah, tranquility is always good. <clears throat> and the piece of music that you have. It's just quiet, tranquil peace. I can imagine drinking tea too. <laughs> Just having a musical transition over to our next story. And um, speaking of music, uh, Joel Flynn is one of the people that helped set up the podcast stream uh, the way that we did the before where people would go down and sit in the booth and talk, which was great. But now we're able to add things that we'll be doing down there along with continuing to uh, have the Zoom cast where everybody sees each other in these magical squares. Uh, Joe, did you want to say a word about what you're going to be sharing later? Yeah. Um, yeah, these uh, these silly boxes that consist of our world these days. Uh, but it's been an interesting little ride here in the last year doing the Zooms and continuing the podcast and <clears throat> coming up with ideas and <clears throat> things kind of coming out of nowhere in the last little while. And the story that uh, I'm going to tell is uh, about this recording project that popped up in the last month with a friend of mine down in California who's been stuck on that side of the border because of COVID. And he's a studio engineer that uh, was kind of locked away in his studio and had some ideas because he had time to, to work on things for a change to uh, go back to his music early days and songs that inspired him to uh to learn music and to become a producer and a, and a musician a touring musician and everything so these are like late 70s fm radio types of songs early 80s the vinyl era and uh he sent these songs up to me to sing over because i can sing and uh most of them are almost all of them are not ones that i'm familiar with singing except for maybe pink floyd so it's kind of like a karaoke challenge to get these songs up and set up in this spot where I'm at, at my mom's place in her, uh, in her dining room, effectively, and turning that into a little music studio. And this remote back and forth collaborative process that COVID has uh, enabled and required us to be able to do anything uh, uh, collaboratively and productively. We have to make use of the situation that that is kind of in in front of us. So, so that um, has been a very nice little thing at the end of this uh, this time I'm having out on Campbell River to get this album done. And I really was only expecting to get one song done, and we've got two album or yeah, two full records worth of songs recorded. So I'm really happy about that. And he's going to take this and master it into. Uh, uh, the the level of audio quality that we can then go to uh, a vinyl album and produce a vinyl album out of it so that's exciting and uh the piece that i want to share from this forthcoming album somewhere down the road is a song from kate bush which is not i know a few of her songs but i'm not uh i don't have all of her albums or like a big kate bush fan but he sent me up this uh Three minute song that I think fits our three minute bit and uh, asked if I could sing it kind of in a James Bond, uh, Chris Cornell, uh, that type of feel to it because it's very cinematic in a way. It's called Man with the Child in His Eyes. And I had to do in order as a storyteller in this regard, I had to switch it from being told from Kate Bush's perspective into a third person type of narrative reframing uh, to make it worth work. Otherwise it, it would have not come out. She sings very high and it, it would have been just an odd thing. So anyhow, um, I would like to share that song. So I will put it on a link on the chat. Is that the best way to do it? 
if you put the link in the chat, I can play it. All right. So I will do that. She Thank you. <laughs> oh, it did have that movie feel. It does have a movie feel to it, right? Very and, cinematic. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's an interesting song because it's it's I mean it's told from her first person perspective in the actual lyrics, and I had to sort of remove it and it almost feels a bit more cinematic in that kind of soundtrack way. So again, it was one I, I didn't know I had to learn it. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. Or this, the kind of the challenge. He sends me a song, and it's like, okay, how do I? What do I do with this? How do I? Do I got to go to a different key? That side of things, and how do you deal with the story element of it? And uh, it's been a yeah, it's been a fun project in that regard. There was another one that I was thinking of that was also a three-minute one. And uh, the funny part about that song, it's a Peter Gabriel song called "Here Comes the Flood." And he sent me uh, a version of the song that had this acoustic guitar playing on it. And I really couldn't figure out how it was working, where the words were coming in. And so I had to record a YouTube version and kind of like jigsaw it out to figure out where I thought things were supposed to be and sang over it. And it, it turned out kind of like that, turned out well, uh, except that he pulled the acoustic bit out and it just became piano. And then it really sounded good. Like, I was like, wow, that sounded better than I thought. Except you could hear all the little, all the things you couldn't hear when the acoustic guitar was playing, all the little screw ups, all the little weird cuts and edits. And, uh, and so that version is still out there that he hasn't, he hasn't uh, fixed that version yet. But I found it as an artifact really interesting to listen to what happens when you remove a piece of the music that makes it better, you know, addition by subtraction in that way. Hmm. Like it wasn't, it's not the same song when the acoustic guitar is on it. And then it's like, Oh, this is a whole new thing because you take one thing out 
and it opens up the rest of the uh the stuff but then okay also hearing the <laughs> there's a screw up there oh i missed this bit i gotta fix i gotta fix all that so that back and forth collaborative process that him and i've been working on using zoom and using messenger and, and things like that one person up in in campbell river bc another person down in san jose um is an interesting kind of artifact of the time i find this this covid remote collaboration era that we're having so that's my story oh well thank you for sharing that with us and you you give us more ideas because uh leslie said what's going to be our you, you know there's 101 then there's 202 what's going to be three and i said no we're going to five you'll have 5g so our next set of adventures will be 5.0 and you know, you're in Campbell River. We have somebody else that joins that's over at Nanaimo. So we can all get on a boat and we can go over and have tea with Leslie and, and hear more stories. So that was a good segue from being in a, a fantastic, well, not a fantasy place, but just being able to imagine being in that afternoon and then going into space and adventure with Joel. So we'll go back to Robin with flowing the people that are presenting their stories. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Charlotte. Um, Chris Morrissey is uh, a regular participant in the, the podcast and uh, part of the, the quirky writing group. And uh, Chris is going to share a story, I believe, from the, the book that Quirky launched um, not too long ago. And I'll let you take it away, Chris. Thanks, Robin. So, yes, this is one of the pieces that I have that's in the latest anthology that Quirky uh, self-published. It's called It's Customary. Don't hold the steering wheel so tightly, Bridget said to me as we approached the Peace Arch crossing, the border between the U.S. and Canada. White knuckles are something the border office and officers noticed. At least that was what we had heard. It was January 3rd, 1989. We were driving a 1988 Blue Ford Escort rental. The trunk and back seat were loaded with bags and boxes. There was a full six-piece set of corningware that we had purchased at an outlet in Portland, Oregon a box set of cookware, a set of cutlery for six, a TV set, and a PVR from Costco in Seattle, Washington. Bags full of linens were stuffed in between everything wherever they would fit. We each had a bag of personal clothing. Having all this stuff added to my anxiety, I was sure we would be stopped. However, first there was the hurdle of immigration our primary source of anxiety. I felt reasonably safe. After all, I was a Canadian citizen, complete with a valid passport that I had renewed at the Canadian consulate in Santiago, Chile. Bridget, my companion, however, although she was a double passport holder, did not have a Canadian one. She had US and Irish passports. She could legally enter Canada as a visitor, and that was all we could say. We knew that our intention was for, for her to stay forever. Would all the goods in the car cast doubt on her being a visitor? The officer in the booth asked for our passports. She then asked Bridget, why are you coming to Canada and how long do you intend to stay? We had rehearsed this moment. I'm coming to help a friend get settled, and I'm staying about two or three weeks. This was not entirely true. In fact, it wasn't true at all. Bridget and I were beginning a new life together as a same-sex couple. We were on a year's leave of absence from the religious congregation of which we had been members for 39 and 29 years, respectively. We had made a decision to leave Chile where we had been working for the previous eight and a half years. We had been very closeted for years. While we had been in transition from Chile to Vancouver, 
we had stayed for short periods of time with friends who were lesbians and in relationships. The weight on my chest had begun to lift. We shared stories, laughed and relaxed. On the way to the border, we held hands in the car. Won't it be amazing to not have to be so careful, I said to Bridget. Now as we approached the border, now as we approached the border, the pressure in my chest became almost unbearable. In 1989, same-sex relationships had no recognition in Canadian law. Could we now backpedal to the time when we lived our secret? Remember, we are only friends, I had said. Would we able to would be able to conceal the glow we had begun to feel? Clearly we did. We passed the test because we were waved through and directed, as I expected, to the area where the customs officers were. As we drove slowly toward the officers, we laughed hysterically. What a relief, I said. Good job we had practiced. I had learned over the years playing cards that Bridget had kept a poker face when she wants to. Next, we were sent to the customs office. What worked in our favor was that the customs officers were not concerned about our immigration status. The two branches, immigration and customs, were quite separate. As required, I had prepared three copies of all the items we were bringing into Canada. One question I still had was, would we have to pay duty on all these things? I thought to myself, we didn't do enough research. The officer accepted my triplicate form and asked, how long have you been away? I answered honestly, since 1960. I was 17 at the time. Without blinking an eye, he said, that makes you a returning Canadian. To my relief, he continued, and everything you bring in now and anything you declare now to come later is duty-free. We got back in our car and drove the few kilometers to my parents' house in White Rock, BC. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> I'm muted. <laughs> Thank you. I um I want to share a quote um that I found um that I think is really appropriate for the the stories that we're we're hearing today. Uh it says I hope you will go out and let stories that is life happen to you and that you will work with these stories from your life not someone else's life. Water them with your blood and tears and your laughter till they bloom, till you yourself burst into bloom. That is the work, the only work. And that's a quote from Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Nice. <clears throat> and I just think that's such a such a nice quote um, because a lot of what this podcast has um, sort of shone a light on is how rich the stories of, of our lives are. Um, and that has been brought to the table, I think, in almost every episode um, through discussion and uh, through creative sharing and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I think it's really a remarkable space to, to be able to have have that happen. So thank you. Thank you all. Well, thank you, Robin. We've been able to go forth from having people uh, tell stories that might that may have written in a creative writing course I had a chance to express to people who are more shy who say they've got a room full of things they've written, but they've never published them. Well, we have on Tuesdays, we've been having uh, training to help people get many more comfortable with the Zoom environment and to do other things like uh, this music, bringing in music behind something um, 
then with Joel's uh, working and playing with his song, having something that you can record and sing to. So he has sung to us. We've had just wonderful times throughout the year, whether it was for a special month, a special day, uh, no end of people sharing their talent. I'm going to segue now over to the poetry phase, and we have two poets that are going to be sharing their work. The first is Adele, and Adele travels to different places and is gifted with languages. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself in your own way, and she's going to give us a poem, possibly in a different language. Um, hi, guys. My name is Adele. Uh, like, yeah, like Charlotte said, I like languages. I speak six, uh, and I'm working on trying to get to becoming polyglot. I'm like one language away, um, so I'm at six and a half. Uh, I'm a filmmaker and multidisciplinary artist. I like making things and creating. Um, I don't know really know what to say about myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, I have, I like po poetry. It was my first um really entry into like expression uh so it's something that i hold really dear um i wonder what what to share i think like charlie wanted me to share like this called the spla blues uh hold on let me see if i can find it guys um so this these i wrote like a series of poems uh to go with my documentary so i was uh doing a lot of um, internal diving and looking into my past and uh, getting in touch with myself and understanding trauma and things like that. So I wrote this uh, thing called uh, The Child I Used to Be. Um, and so it, here is the poem. Um, <clears throat> Loi by Kadek and the pillar by Bunim to the end of The skies weep. My country screams. I watch in agony. The eyes of the people I love dearly tell stories of sadness. They are children who have become broken adults, and now their children inherit that hurt. Trauma becomes Sudan's greatest legacy. I remember the music that played in the background of my childhood. My mother seeking solace in the things that destroyed her. I would look into her eyes and see the reflection of the sky she once looked up to. Her face crying out as muffled voices screeched from the radio. Her eyes fading into an expression I could not understand. We were strangers. She was strength, yet in her power I saw weakness. Every day, I heard these muffled voices, hopeful screams. They were my mother's sense of home. She gave her childhood for her country. Within that exchange, her eyes stopped forming tears while her soul drowned in agony. What has become of the person she wished to be? Banyan garang in itchumwat madu banda kape kadiago nanin jitwin bai paradu ranyoi. I remember hearing the muffled voices of men seeping out of the radio. The sounds lingered in the air longer than the silent stares we exchanged. I would whisper, Are you okay? She looked at me. Our hearts exchanged words our mouths could not. I never understood why these cassettes meant so much to her. How was I to know she had been a child soldier? These muffled voices of men screaming were the songs that once kept her alive at a time she wasn't sure she wanted to live. I weep for her because I know she has lost the ability to shed tears for herself. Um, so that one is uh, a poem that I wrote like as I was making the film. Um, and then this one is the one I wrote recently um, when I came back from going to South Sudan for the first time. Uh, Deep within the trenches of emotion, we watch the war, bodies dropping, tears flowing, sorrow looming, within that very second, an exhale. Final moments flow briefly. In that very instance, I wonder, what is existence? One day our eyes open, our lives begin, we become responsible for maintenance. We exist within a sorrow from existence, living with the understanding life is suffering. The moments of joy are gifts worth celebrating finding light breaking through the cracks of the shadow, love emerges. Coming to wipe our tears away, it is the exchange between our glances, the embrace that mends the soul. Somehow amongst this battlefield, our weapons are traded for a hug, a life worth suffering for, love worth fighting for, an existence worth striving for. 
yeah i haven't really um wrote poems that uh go back and forth between my uh, other languages because i'm still a bit shy about like you know when you understand a language and it's time to speak it and then you're around people who speak it really well and you get really shy so um i haven't pushed myself yet but i'm maybe in the future i'll start to try to incorporate uh the few languages together i think it'd be something fun um but i haven't done that yet so thank you charlotte Oh, thank you. And we, you tomorrow, am I muted? No, you're on. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, tomorrow on my uh, Speak Up show, we will hear an interview that I did with Adele about her recent trip to uh, South Sudan. And the surprise, you could share the surprise you had when you returned on Air Canada. Oh, yeah, it was super strange. So on my way back, um, I ended up finding my film um, on the in the catalog in the Air Canada flights. So I was like super pumped about that. That now they're playing my uh, film uh, on on all the all the domestic. I don't know if it's international, but I found my film on there. So Air Canada's uh, playing it. So I'm like, super excited. I didn't know because I had the broadcast company that I got um, a contract from. Um, we were taking care of the distribution, so I didn't really, it was just a surprise. And it was really strange because, you know, uh, I was coming from South Sudan, and I wasn't really thinking much about my film, and I was just, like, processing uh, everything that I had experienced. And then, you know, you just come and sit there, and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, and so one of the things, some of the things that will connect with what we'll be doing coming up, she used StoryHive, and StoryHive is one of the things welcoming people's stories. So like the quote that uh, Robin read, living your story and using your story, now your story could be something that surprises you when you take an airplane ride. (laughs) And another person that has been moving forward with his creative art and had been doing poetry but and had published a book, but then he got this, make, uh, an offer to have the book uh, published so that people could get it in bookstores. So Neil Ryan, who has shared different stories, is today going to read one of his favorite poems for us. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. <laughs> <laughs> Neil to Earth, hello. Um, Ruth Kozak uh, had a uh, pre-COVID had a uh, come and 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 read from an author and one of my favorite books is uh, Herman Hesse's uh, 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 book uh, Siddhartha. Uh, I absolutely love that book and uh, have read it many times. So when I was invited to r- read an author, I chose uh, Herman Hesse's book, Siddhartha. And um, I was doing a lot of research about the, the story and, and Herman Hesse and so forth. And this poem, which is, has become my favorite poem, uh, arrived... Uh, all in one big lump. I'm trying to... There we are. Okay. This is called Siddhartha by the River. I am Siddhartha by the river, surrounded by beauty, living quiet in peace, contemplating the many gifts of the universe. I am Siddhartha by the river, meditating on the delicate essence of internal peace that arrives only in small moments amid the fury and the frenzy of the day. I am Siddhartha by the river, curious about which thought is a teaching and even more cautious about which thought is a seduction. I am Siddhartha by the river, noting that all dogma with their myths and their vested interests have inaccurately guessed at the truth. So there is no teacher who can show me the way. 
I am Siddhartha by the river, seeking to follow the path where there is no path, concluding that there is no route to enlightenment save my own. I am Siddhartha by the river, amazed at the life story people create out of their myths and beliefs and experiences that then blame the world, unable to see themselves as both the cause and the effect. I am Siddhartha by the river, wanting to be humble and knowing that wanting is always a distraction from now. Wanting to be wise and knowing that too is a deviation from the now. I'm Siddhartha by the river, believing that life is a river, ever emerging, ever changing, ever becoming new, flowing from experience to experience to experience. I'm Siddhartha by the river, watching all things attempt to seduce my ego by telling me I am apart and separate from the other, watching the connectedness of all things and observing that the river and the forest come together through me. I am Siddhartha by the river, watching the creation and then the passing of all things, seeing that without the light and the dark, life is without purpose. I am Siddhartha by the river, grateful that within this universe, there is the presence of love while waiting to die and do this all over again. Thank you. Thank you. And so, I want to ask um, Billy or Aideen, any one of you, do, it, do you have any comments or questions to any of the people who've shared? No, I am still uh, without words after that last poem. <laughs> uh, it touched me very deeply. Uh, everything that happened today I found extremely interesting. I'm having problems with the sound. It's fading in and out. Sometimes I have to figure that out. I'm not very good with the computer. But uh, sometimes I could hear well, and then sometimes I lost it. But I got all of that last poem, and I am still... I loved it. Thank you. Uh, Billy? Billy was with us on the 11th when we had the, pal, uh, the tribute to... Uh, Shaman Gill. Yes, and <clears throat> I really appreciated that, and and I'm back to feel the same warmth again, and that's that's why I'm here. Uh, I'm kind of an emotional person. Uh, suffered a bit from uh, from being an activist and crashing. Some of us, some of us do, and I'm just very thrilled with the stories I've heard today and the music from Joel and the poetry and uh, and feeling that warmth and I want to thank you for allowing me to share that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I have a, instead of a, a longer poem that I'm going to, to uh, be sharing I guess next week, I will give you uh, something that was kind of a first time I did uh, open mic. And it's uh, a man came to my house the other day. He said, Sister C, you are selfish. I said, my friend, what do you mean? He said, what it is is you won't share what it is that keeps you so in the air. I laughed when I really got his drift. And I said, hey, my friend, check this. I'm on fire, I'm on fire, fire for the Lord, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, fire for the Lord. The man checked the closet, he checked the floors, he even checked the space between the carpet and the floor. Again, he said, <laughs> he said Sister C, you are selfish. I smile when I really got his drift. I guess this time I said, and you say it, she's. 
She's on fire. She's on fire, fire for the Lord. She's on fire. She's on fire, fire for the Lord. <laughs> and so what that poem was about, I use it a lot of times to um, lead into a poetry reading a show. But uh, back in the day, like you bring an act activist with a really huge uh, afro. I used to go to the barber every couple of weeks and he would trim it. And he came to my house this particular Saturday and he had fruit and so forth, but he was so angry and he set it down. He started looking in my cupboards and he said, you holding out, what is it? And <laughs> he wanted to know what it is that gives me so much energy. And I guess he thought there was some artificial substance that gave it. And I told him it's, you know, it's just the fire of God or is uh, another name for God is, is Siddhartha, that that's what gave me energy is having it and giving thanks for it every day. So I'll leave that as that poem and share more of my poetry with you on another day. Next week, we have another special panel. We are dealing with, it's April Fool's Day. And the question we have is no fooling. Seniors are interested in affordable, sustainable housing. And we have uh, someone from the city's um, Hey Neighbor program, which is looking at hub housing. We have someone that was a major speaker and thinker on sustainable housing. We have someone from the Tiny House Project. So it's going to be a good panel uh, presentation with opportunities for you to ask questions. One of the things that I noted about a BuildX conference they had this year, they talked about planning space and some adaptations they have for classrooms that enhance your brain, enhances your sense of well-being, they have lighting that affects all these things. So I said, well, if you could do it for classrooms, is there any thinking of, about doing this on the housing that's being developed? And is there any way that all of these groups that are meeting and talking about these things can um, engage the voices of seniors. So I invite you to come next week to invite other people to come because we will have this panel and they will be leaving time for you to ask questions about no fooling. We want to know about housing. <laughs> so thank you so much, each of you, for coming today. And does anyone have any parting or final comment? Joel? Yeah, I was just in relation to, um, well, a few things. One is the, the interfaces that we're having to deal with each other through with this technological situation of COVID and, and before and beyond this. Um, and also um, in regards to uh, Adele's uh, six languages, is it correct? Six, yeah. Uh, just thinking about interfaces and how we, inter how the things we use to interface with the world and whether it's language or whether it's these tools and how those affect uh, our well-being and, and how we uh, engage socially and all that. And uh, I think maybe we're perhaps approaching a golden age of interfaces here, the golden uh, moments of, of trying to figure out what these tools allow us to be able to do that we can't do in our physical spaces and take the good things from that. And, uh, and also the good things from the physical spaces into the into these environments. So it's been a question that's been in my head a bit. And when I hear somebody who's learning a bunch of languages, I always wonder what is that language interface differently with English or with French or with other uh, other ways of, of understanding people's stories and who, who we are in this space. So that was my kind of observation from all this. Music is an interface, for example. Um, math is an interface. And Zoom is an interface, so here we are. Yeah, apparently uh, the language you speak affects your worldview. So um, if you speak and think in a different language, you actually look at the world through different lenses. I, I have to agree with that, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's actually yeah. kind of strange, like, um, I like I, my first four languages I knew before, like by five years old. So I did, I think only language I remember learning is like, is uh, Japanese, French, and English. Mm. And, uh, Switching from English to Japanese was like more memorization, but going from Japanese to French, my whole brain, like I was having the hardest time, you know, and it's just because like French is like a language that's interpretive, right? And it's like uh, feminine and masculine, it moves around, it dances in Japanese. It's like, this is, it's like, you know, very structured and with a hierarchy. 
and you know with a lot of geared around a lot of respect and you know like humbleness so it's just those two and so like just not only your behavior but the way that you're interacting with people as well you're not looking at their man or a woman you're looking about like if they're older or younger or they're ranking in a different like it's just a different thought process uh so my brain was just like what uh, but now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the language is very structured. The society is very structured. Right. You know, it, it just kind of reflects it, right? Yeah. Whereas it's French, uh, they're much more casual about things. It's, you know, it's a much more creative. Take you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that's true of every language is that mm-hmm. it's a reflection. Of, you know, the the Russians are negative and, and gloom and doom. And uh, I, I know uh, quite a bit of Chinese and, and, and I understand the, the relationship that all the, ch- all, all the people have towards their parents. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, And and having traveled around the world a few times is that I'm beginning to think that it's the land and the food that's produced and that that creates the society that reflects and and the language naturally just reflects what what the energy of the society is. And And English has a bunch of rules that nobody follows. So, like, what does that say about that? And not to mention that you've got UK English, American English, and Canadian English, and some things people will argue about, you know. Well, uh, I can't... This whole thing, Joe, like, in English, there are grammar rules, but there are always exceptions. Uh, (laughs) I can't remember the English author who said that English is the only language, is the single language that it separates all the countries. uh, the the people of England are separated by the same language. That's it. And wasn't that Churchill? The Americans <laughs> and the Brits are two people separated by a common language. Uh, Hold on, that's a good. I have to look that up. That's, mm. that's, uh, that's no. It was an English author who was arrested for being homosexual and put in jail. And oh, he, oh, 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 oh. Um, my memory's gone. Anyway, Oscar the, Wilde. Oscar Wilde. It was, yeah. it was him. The, 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 uh, the, the, the English are uh, separated by the same language. And, and if you go uh, from, uh, from London to, uh, to York, there's a different language in those two places. They're, the same, they're both English, but... Uh, anyway. How about Oscar Wilde being Irish? Uh, And that throws a whole different uh, spanner in the works. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he was Irish. I forgot. I even forgot his name, so I guess... (laughs) I knew who you were talking about, but I couldn't get the name either. Well, well, having having learned several languages along my way, I can say thank you in in a number of languages. But I f- find that each language is a like I spoke Ukrainian quite fluently, and my Chinese is not so bad, and so forth. But th- that the language reflects the society in which it is produced. Yeah, you know the. It's funny. I, I learned French in high school from a teacher that was from Yazoo, Mississippi. And when I went to <laughs> France, I was speaking French. The, oh, the, the, the uh, person from uh, People to People was saying, that's American French. That is not even. Oh, they just gave me the blues about, you know, this French that I'd had two terms, two years of, because it probably had uh, a Southern accent because, you know, the, I don't know, but it was not, it wasn't the French that she expected. It, it, it would be Patois. Uh, well, no, it was it was still proper French. It, Patois is when it's kind of blended. It was, it, you know, it was the standard French from the textbook, but it had uh, a different a accent. The accent? <laughs> I've heard people from Montreal say the same thing, uh, you know, discrepancy between French as it's spoken in Montreal and French as it's spoken in Paris. Yeah, it's about as different as English and Scottish, actually. 
It's because the the French in that Montreal, in like Quebec and in Canada is an isolated French that mm-hmm. like that like developed on its own and then like of an, an English kind of area versus like the French that they speak in Europe has had like you know it was kind of more open so it evolved and it changed and they like they even here like they use old old French you know in Quebec mm-hmm. but it sounds a lot different than the ones in, like, in France. Yeah, when I was in the UK, I actually had a Canadian boyfriend and uh, I we met up together in France. I was a homestay student at the time and. Uh, my French family kept telling me how bad his French was. He was quite proud of his French, but it was mm. Quebec French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, my husband doesn't, he now speaks English, but he didn't when I met him. So I, I lived 40 years in Quebec speaking, and we still speak French. I've never used English really with my husband. So... I've learned a lot about French, but I already studied French before I met him. And I, I love what I learned about the, how Quebec French retained many of the Norman expressions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not patois, it's not, it's, it's a retention of old terms a lot of it i absolutely love french uh, i could go on and on and on but anyway <laughs> i speak french english and i used to speak gaelic and spanish so, uh, well just look at all my, the stories that we can gaelic. make <laughs> with all the languages spoken by this group of people we could do a funny you know the what was the tower tower of babel we could do a funny video and have people speaking different versions of the same language and just you know it could be hysterical but okay guys uh, i gotta go um, okay well we all are going to be going so we'll just yeah, I'll go. say <laughs> goodbye thank you for 50 we'll be going toward our next 50 and i'll see you again next week <laughs> bye everyone hey thanks everybody